Here we go, rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, out west, Adam Stanko. Go back and listen mm. to all the going ISO editions of rejecting the screen as we go ISO with anybody and everybody who's touched the NBA. If you're watching The Last Dance, go back and listen to our conversation with Peter Vesey to get an even more perspective on just what was going on in the NBA, on the court, off the court at that time. That would be a good one to go back and listen to. Highly recommended. Also, even Kevin Willis, if you want to go back and the longtime great Hawk power forward. Great. And I say great because time changes everything. We'll explain shortly. Adam, family of six, everybody good? I'm good. I'm good. I had a chance to watch episodes three and four of The Last Dance. That's my priority right now. We're talking about the the episodes. I'm glad you watched. Is the washing machine on right now or is the dishwasher on or both? Uh, neither one is on. We're whoa. So right now, right now you're the priority. No, you know what I'm saying? You're the priority. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, let's, uh, let's get right into it though. What did you think? Yeah. So Rod, the Robin episode I thought was, it was okay. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying these episodes. I thought episode four was, was the best one of the first four. We knew that story about the Vegas trip was coming and that's where I want to start with. So told you that last week, that that's what was going to be happening in episode three. And they started with it in the beginning and then showed it at the end. But my thought is, I, you know, again, I didn't go on social media. And I checked afterwards and there was a lot of, oh, imagine if Twitter was around when Rodman was in Vegas. Well, as crazy as that might have been, that Rodman was in Vegas not just for the 48 hours that he was allowed to be there, but the days after when right. he wasn't allowed to be there by the Bulls, NBA cameras were with him there. So that was being again, documented. Again, say that again, Noah. Say that again. Not, NBA not random cameras, documentary cameras right. from Rodman's production company. I guess. NBA cameras. Right. So NBA cameras. Right. So I assume that's where... I assume that those were NBA cameras there being the folks that were following the bulls were with Rodman and Rodman had to okay it. The team okayed it. So NBA cameras were there. So now when Rodman goes quote unquote missing and he's still there, I think what's would be more lethal than just what was happening on Twitter would be the phone calls from bulls ownership to the league saying, what the (laughs) you guys are there the league is with rodman get him back or what is what is going on those calls to to david stern commissioner at the time and adam silver as president of entertainment at the time had to be insane had to be crazy it had to be crazy and that is that is wild and by the way let's let's point out that you even said last week when you were telling the story you already said the that just imagine what would happen if a star player left for a week. I think that you actually said that during our our podcast. So you were ahead of the curve, obviously, on the story. And then, of course, how people would have reacted and should have reacted to that to that time period. It's still it it's still bananas, Noah, because like some of these stories, and I I've had this conversation with a few people now. Some of these stories, we know them in and out. And we've talked about this. The general public may not. Certainly the, the younger generation may not. So I understand why things have to be put into context. And I don't mind seeing it ever. It's mm-hmm. fine. 
uh, and hearing some different voices talk about things. But a lot of this stuff is stuff we knew already. So it's weird for people like you and myself. We knew a lot of this stuff. It's the it's the other stuff. It's the unique perspective type things that are that are interesting and also adding our own perspective or insight that furthers the story even more. Um, you know, so I don't know. I, I think that's a that's a really interesting one that you bring up. Yeah, and a few things more on Rodman. I'd love the Rodman late night shooting with his friends. And this is what well, I should clarify. This is late night basketball shooting. And I guess you do have to clarify that with Dennis Rodman. So it's a, a late late night basketball shooting at a gym where he has friends come in and just miss shots so that he can find out what angles to grab the rebounds off of. And, and I think they did a nice job showing just how intelligent and how respected he was as a defender, not just playing off athletic ability, but he really understood the game. But there are so many. I remember, so I used to host a bunch on NBA radio with Rick Mahorn. And he's the, his nickname, the baddest bad boy of them all, Rick Mahorn. And mm-hmm. there's, it came across in a documentary that everybody hated the Pistons. We used to get call after call after call after call. Rick, I loved you, man. That was basketball. That was basketball. And then you, so which is it? And then you watch the documentary and you think, okay, so that's really what you want now? You you would really want guys just punching each other on the court? I don't think so. Right. I will say this. The, it's interesting you bring that up. I was a big Pistons fan as a kid. So my my brother was a huge Bulls fan. I was a Pistons fan. So we used to go at it. And I was convinced that he would never, his team would never be able to overtake my team. And of course that happened in dramatic fashion. Uh, but, but I will say it is interesting though, how history has turned things in terms of that, that bad boys team also, because they're looked at as the team that was the one that was beating everyone up and pushing and hitting and fighting and clawing and scratching. That was the league back then in general. And the bad boys took it to another level. They did it better than anybody else. They got the right guys. They funneled you to the right places. And then certainly the Jordan rules put a name to it. And now, and when you're stopping a guy that's averaging 37 points a game and shutting down the team because of it, well, that's, that's different. And don't get me wrong. I'm with you. Like, I don't think there's necessarily a place for that level of it in our game, but I also think that there's a middle ground and there's a certain level of, of toughness and, and all that kind of stuff where flagrants get called way too often, which I think we, we all agree on. Um, No, I did want to bring up that. The so I went back and watched game five because I found that. Um, how, how did where did you find the time to do this? Listen again, you have to understand feeding schedules here. We're in, we're in the midst of it. Right, looked you have like, three kids, you've you have three other kids, yeah. They're sleeping at this point. So then I decide, so then I talked to my wife about it. Well, I'll stay up and, and give baby Skylar a bottle, uh, you know, for the first early you know, midnight, 1 a.m. feeding, whatever. That didn't happen until like 1.30. So I'm watching game five which of Cavs-Bulls, which I got through three quarters of. And so many interesting parts about that, No, But one of the ones that I do want to point out is that on the Ron Harper stuff, just about uh, him defending, and he had that great quote about it's, you know, it's fucking bullshit, uh, that he's still pissed about it. A, Craig Elo in game three had to sit out. He sat out that game because of a sprained ankle and they were still talking about on the broadcast about like how that was probably still hampering him. And then, and B 
the whole game, Ron Harper is guarding Jordan, shadowing Jordan to the point where when Jordan left the game, Harper would leave the game. So he, Ron Harper had every right. It was like the, the great Bill Buckner example. Like, why was he in the game for that ground ball? It was the same thing. Ron Harper should have been guarding Michael Jordan. It was interesting, though, to watch the broadcast and even get more context about why that was a big deal. So what I would have liked to have seen on that point, and maybe you can find it on YouTube somewhere, Lenny Wilkins post game, or, or were any Cavs writers on Twitter last night from that time saying, yeah, well, we asked Lenny Wilkins about that. So what? So what was the explanation? Just like... I remember being in the press conference room when, when Pop during the uh, the Ray Allen shot that Duncan wasn't on the floor, so he yeah. got asked about it and then he completely brushed it off. But was Lenny Wilkins even asked about it at the time? That's an answer I'd like to hear. But speaking of those Cavs, so David Aldridge proved the point of mine last night. David Aldridge called Cleveland called that team a great team. <laughs> so it proves my point of that time cures everything. So that Cavs team under Lenny Wilkins, they were really good. Mm-hmm. I don't throw around the word great. They were really good. Mark Price, Larry Nance, Brad Doherty, Elo, Hot Rod, they were really good. In his seven years, okay, well, they lost to the Bulls five times in the playoffs. But in those seven years, they got to the playoffs five times. They lost in the first round three times, all in five games, twice to the Bulls. Got swept in Eastern Conference semis once, Bulls. Lost in the Eastern Conference finals once to the Bulls. So a team to be, a team to be called great. Right. And I'm sure, if I, I'm sure if I asked David Aldridge, he'd say, oh, you know, he just used the word. But that's the thing that gets to me, that, that these words are thrown around like – because it's going to get to the point where, oh, he's a Hall of Famer. Like, that's just going to oh, be yeah. thrown around. That's like what that. ends up great. That's what happens. Great. So, like, in 20 years, Adam, are the Lob City Clippers going to be called great? Well, that's, that's going to that's gonna be what the question is. And, and for a team that didn't reach the finals, and again, you bring up a good point, Noah, and people are going to respond to that and say, yeah, well, that's once again just shows just another team that Jordan made sure didn't have success or another individual player. But – well, that's true in the later stretch, it wasn't true early on. It wasn't like during that first round series, the Bulls were some unstoppable force at that point in time. Michael Jordan was the best player in the game. No, Jordan said that even I didn't even series. realize it until Jordan said it. The Cavs beat them all six times. Six times. And uh games one and two of that 88 playoff series, by the way, Jordan goes for 50 and 55. You want to talk about setting Twitter ablaze or first take or what have you. Uh, during that um so I guess it wouldn't have mattered who guards Jordan during that that stretch that's for sure but Noah I'm, I'm with you and I think what's interesting too is that for those of us that remember the Cavs were thought of as this team that could be great that mm-hmm. could be great that Brad Doherty was very young during that I think he was like 23 and in, in 88 maybe um that his potential was tremendous his career was short though obviously Mark Price, they had you brought it up. Ron Harper, Elo, Hot Rod, and of course Larry Nance. Like this team always seemed to be a team that had all the pieces in place and could be really, really good. And that's what they ended up being. They ended up being really good, but they never were were great. All right, coming up, of course, a bunch on Phil Jackson. And since Adam has so much time on his hands, he'll tell you some Phil Jackson stories that he's been digging up. Plus, 
Something that was revealed last night, a lot of this stuff is new, but something was revealed last night that I could guarantee had never happened before in history and has not happened since. I know, Adam, you've used Postmates, especially when you had to go to the hospital with Kate and the kids were home uh, before baby Skylar was born. We've used Postmates coming back from vacation if you just need the fridge stocked. It's real simple. Download the Postmates app. They deliver food from a grocery store to restaurants, but not just that. You can go to the convenience store. You can go to clothing stores, whatever it is. You just don't need to make any more trips to the store. And right now, that is pretty significant. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the app, use the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA. $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Now, something happened in Last Dance that had never happened before and has certainly never happened since. When Michael Jordan went to get Dennis Rodman, Carmen Electra answered the door and then hid. Has to be the first and last time ever a woman has answered the door, seen Michael Jordan, and ran away. (laughs) That is never happened before, has not happened since. Trust me. Oh, that's great. That is great. And 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 that was my first thought when... When I heard the line from from Carmen Electra that, wow, that's that's something. A Ron Harper story that has to that is in the similar vein. I had heard from a writer years ago who was around the Bulls a bunch in the locker room after a game. And I guess a bunch of the guys were going out after the game, and Ron Harper said to this reporter, Hey, you gonna uh you gonna bring that girl I saw you with yesterday? And the writer said, oh, maybe. I don't know. And he says, well, I, my, Michael's going to be there tonight. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring him because I wouldn't bring him because, you know, you know, Michael's just going to steal your girl. <laughs> That's incredible. And I, guess, and I guess that was like a real threat. Like, yeah, don't bring her. I saw her yesterday and yeah, Michael would probably steal her. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to just make sure that doesn't happen. That's right, amazing. So there, right. So there were so many things about all those episodes last night, like Jordan, just like, we'll just bounce around here before we get to Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. When they lost to the, one of the times they lost to the Pistons, it was in Detroit. And Jordan did a on court interview after the game, after a loss a playoff series loss, not just a game, but a playoff series loss at the height of his competitiveness, and he hadn't won a title yet. He did an on-court national TV interview on the road after a playoff series loss. And I, as, I, as that happened, I was like, whoa, what? Really? And, that, and that, is, that was the only tweet I sent out. I wasn't looking at Twitter, but I, I tweeted that out just to bring attention to the fact of how crazy that is. That's something that like you just wouldn't see now. I I couldn't agree more. And what was interesting is I was watching this whole thing, Noah, and I 
I know Jordan was nervous about this coming out on a certain level because of how he thought it might make him look. And he's always tried to protect this pristine image of himself. And I know we talked last week about the idea that he, I don't know, has this, he comes off almost like a little bit childish in a way. And sort of there's this playfulness to him too. But there's also a weird thing, I think, for those of us that watched his entire career and everything we'd heard about him and read about him, and even even the quotes that, that are still about him, you know, his former teammates talking about Will Purdue saying he's like a robot and we didn't think he had emotion and all this, you're still seeing on the documentary. In a weird way, I think this whole doc really humanizes MJ in a way that I've actually been really impressed with. Like, just, I always knew how crazy the media circus was around him but how he still is giving all these interviews and just the pressure that would come along with all of that and all the eyeballs that he's got on him. And then to see him joking with his teammates. I mean, we know how hard he could be on guys and how harsh it was for him. But I also, time and again, there are these moments I think he hasn't gotten credit for about doing things like that interview on the court after the game because he sort of felt like it was the right thing to do and sort of, and you could argue it's to protect his image or what have you, or always try to make himself look the right way. Like the whole thing with the Pistons walking off and him saying, well, we shook hands. The Cause MJ always did things like that. He always still, even when he was mad at reporters, he still answered them. He still answered their questions, even when he was annoyed by it. Right. So two things on that one, the answering questions from reporters about his future it immediately made me think of like if Kevin Durant was watching it, which I'm sure he was, how KD was handling questions about his future, that he was still playing basketball, but it, Jordan's answering questions about his retirement, but how respectful Jordan came off and even yes. in joking manner. And KD was clapping back at reporters and calling them frauds, basically. Mm-hmm. But also, Jordan's production company is heavily involved in this so i so i don't think they're gonna show the all-time asshole moves from jordan here i think they're gonna show enough that you might think oh maybe did he cross the line there nah he's jordan we get it everything is centered around this competitiveness thing i i'm i'm totally with you i think but it's weird. I guess my point is that I've heard the Jordan stories about him being a jerk and maybe seeing it would be, would be different. And we've seen some moments. I mean, the one glaring moment I think is when the guy asked for the autograph in that uncomfortable situation. And yeah. Jordan does that thing. Like famous people can get away right. with like, I'm just yeah. ignoring what you said to me, like, Hey, security, take care of this guy. But, but I think in general terms to me, I'm, I'm more saying that I've already heard all the negative Jordan stories. Like I've, I knew what to expect coming in. And I've actually been somewhat pleasantly surprised about some of the stuff, even when he's getting on guys and ripping them about it comes off in a different way. And maybe because I've been jaded of thinking about him being this like figure that always casts this shadow around the team, but also the more and more you hear and read about Jordan when he was asked to do certain things in his career. Yes. He could be harsh on management and all that, but there are also times which leads us into Phil Jackson in which I would say that when he was asked to take on certain roles, even when everyone was nervous about it and, and walking on eggshells, Jordan was okay. If that's what you need, let's try it. One last thing on the media. Ahmad Rashad is Jordan's guy. And I had long heard that I had long heard that nobody turned down an interview with Ahmad. No player did because then Ahmad would tell Jordan and then Jordan would ice out that guy. 
Like just that that's <laughs> that's what I'd always heard. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But Ahmad is Ahmad is NBA League Office royalty and basketball royalty. And these are the types of things that we might recognize that certainly younger fans wouldn't because of inside stuff, but also being in the business a bit. So that's what we hope we take, you take away from this. Like there's that scene in the training room where Jordan's getting on a few reporters. Uh, I think he was getting on a few print reporters, but then you see Ahmad sitting on the training table yes. next to Jordan. Okay. And then there's another scene where the, the, you know, it's supposed to look like, all right, only Jordan can go back there. It was, it was the, the door closed and it was Bulls authorized personnel only. And there's Ahmad right behind Jordan. And then on the airplane, when Bill Wennington says, like, yeah, it'd just be great to get paid as much as Ahmad. And Jordan was like, ah, oh, now you're getting more money than Ahmad, whatever, something, something like yes. that. Yes. Ahmad, Jordan knew exactly how much money Ahmad, Ahmad Rashad was making, <laughs> for sure. I think I think but, Weddington but, lied. I think I think he said to Weddington that you're the the richest media member there is. Right. Or something. Exactly. Yeah. Right. right. And then when the Ahmad part came up. Jordan said, "Well, he's the, rich too." <laughs> but the Ahmad the Ahmad Rashad story is so wild. Ahmad Rashad as a all pro defensive back for the Vikings, and then you know, and basketball fans just know him from NBA inside stuff. In rewind, and his name was Bobby Moore. Was Ahmad Rashad's name when he was in college, and I forget when he changed it. But he's not just Ahmad Rashad, NBA guy, Jordan's guy. Ahmad Rashad was this crazy, crazy athlete, and it was wide receiver. He was a wide, wide receiver. receiver. Oh, I thought he was defensive Vikings. back, and he, okay. but and and also married Claire Huxtable, right. He, he had a, and then, but but yeah, it's funny that shocked. later generation knows him as inside stuff. At an NBA draft one time, uh, the court I was using to do a stand-up, uh, I tripped Ahmad Rashad with. So um, that's my claim to fame. So Ahmad, I want to apologize because I'm hoping that we can get Jordan as a guest on rejecting the screen. Pretty <laughs> I'll take Ahmad on. I'll take Ahmad as a guest. I I will, yes, Ahmad. Let's get Ahmad on. If anyone knows him, that's uh, that's listening now. All right, coming up next, Phil Jackson. There's more to. The stories that you saw on the screen last night, Adam explains. All right, so one of the other things you're doing with all this time on your hands with a newborn baby and a three-year-old and two teenage girls is reading yeah. 11 Rings, Phil Jackson's book. So as you're reading that and watching episode four of The Last Dance, how are you tying things together? Yeah, so a couple things stood out to me. First of all, there was a part in the doc in which they talk about the scoring title for Jordan in the book, Phil Jackson explains it as Jordan didn't want to change things up because he said he knew how important scoring titles were to Jordan and that that was clear between the two of them. And that Phil basically said to him, your scoring is going to take a hit, but he also wanted, he also had an understanding and that's a big part of the book is just how he relates to players and, you know, the the native American history and Mm -hmm. just how he tries to, get guys together. I mean, we've had plenty of guests that, that talk about Phil Jackson in that way, Adam Morrison, most notably, I think um, it just explaining it best in terms of how he sort of creates this cohesive unit, but, but Jordan went on, went along with it. But, but the thing was in the documentary, it was almost like that the scoring title didn't mean anything, but it was made very clear in the book that scoring titles meant something to Jordan and that Phil knew that that was a tough conversation that he was going to have 
that he was going to have to have. And it was interesting that like Phil was the guy that ended up being like the one that would have to say certain things to Jordan as an assistant coach. And then of course, when he became the head coach again, have some tough conversations, but there are certain guys that Jordan respects. I think the guys just like Kobe Bryant, people always talk about it was the guys that didn't treat him differently. The guys that would show him, you know, you show him respect Mm -hmm. by not backing down in a way. Um, The alpha dogs respond to that. And then the other thing that was significant, Noah was Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson the book lays out their their history goes way back. So when when Phil Jackson was a star at North Dakota and an NBA draft prospect, Jerry Krause was the head scout for the Bullets, and Krause really liked Phil Jackson as a player and really wanted mm-hmm. him. They wanted to draft him. Bullets had thought that uh, Krause thought that he would last until the third round. Well, the the Knicks take. Phil Jackson in the second round, back when NBA drafts had more than two rounds, Phil Jackson gets taken in the second round. And in the book, it says that Jerry Krause was kicking himself about it for years. He was so upset that he missed out on his gem from North North Dakota, Phil Jackson. So it's it adds even greater context to this story about Jerry Krause thought about him as a player. It was like his undiscovered, you know, his his undiscovered talent, this this gem, this diamond in the rough. He finds Phil Jackson. Okay, he gets Phil Jackson. He doesn't get him as a, as a player. But then he says, I have to get him as an assistant coach. So when Phil's with the Albany Patroons at CBA, Jerry Krause hires him as an assistant coach, right? They bring him in. And then, and then of course, like they promote Phil Jackson when they fire Doug Collins, as is laid out in the documentary. But it's interesting to think that like in Jerry Krause's mind, it sort of creates this whole new version of the, the story of, in his mind, he groomed this guy, gave him every mm-hmm. opportunity, believed in him as a player to start with all the way up through history. And then Phil Jackson's not talking to him and is part of the group that's like, no, forget management. We're on our own. This is the last dance. And it's interesting, I think, when you add that extra wrinkle. So I just went back as you're talking to look at the 1967 draft where Phil was the 17th overall pick. And that came in the second round just to see what the Baltimore Bullets had done before that. Number one pick that year, Pistons, Jimmy Walker, Jalen Rose's father, went Mm. number one. Walt Frazier went five to the Knicks. Pat Riley was the seventh overall pick. Mel Daniels, who was a great ABA player, Mm -hmm. he went ninth. So Baltimore with the Baltimore had the pick four before the Knicks in round two. There were only seven picks in round two, 12 in round one. I I don't know why. But the Baltimore Bullets took a guy named Jimmy Jones, who I, I, I have not heard of, from Grambling State, who played 140 games in the NBA. And then four picks later was Phil. And then so the guy that he ended up taking in the third round never never played a game. This guy, Malkin Strong from Seattle University. Yeah, never never played a game. Wow. So wow. you're going to tell me that Jerry Krause can see talent and he took M- Malkin strong in the, the 20th <laughs> overall pick. Uh, it's one thing that also made me laugh at him about Phil was that the team is sitting around watching film on a screen, the size of my iPhone. And it's the whole team sitting around watching film and you're trying to like point out things. And, and speaking of film, I, the guy who is the technology guy behind MLB Advanced Media, he's brilliant. He's a Joe Inzarello. I think he was like astrophysicist or 
oh, well, nuclear physics, something. Anyway, when I worked at MLB Advanced Media, Joe was running everything. And, and MLB Advanced Media is, bam, baseball advanced media was started by all 30 owners, all put in a million bucks to start the company. And it's arguably the, I mean, it's certainly the most successful sports tech company of all time. And it's right up there with any of the other tech companies in any realm. So Joe was working as a teenager cutting up film for Jerry Reinsdorf. They were one of the first ones doing film for the White Sox. And so he would have Frank Thomas in with Joe as a teenager looking at film of his at-bats. And then Reinsdorf hired him to do that for the Bulls. And as he was at like 18, 19 years old, and he is their video coordinator. And he was, they would end up during that run choosing hotels, Joe had told me. They would choose hotels on the road. And this is early internet based on which ones had internet so that wow. Joe could do his work and break down film. And that's how wow. the Bulls, like in that, I guess, and certainly on that team, actually, since I was, that would have been the latest, that team, that's how they were choosing. That's how they were choosing which hotels they'd sit on the road so that Joe could do his work based on the internet. That's incredible. One yeah, final note for me on this, yeah. this and the film breakdown, I think exemplifies it. I, it's, it's funny. This kind of stuff is like in a vault. I mean, this was literally in a vault at NBA entertainment, this video, but like of film breakdowns and guys watching film and talking about stuff. Fans love that. And people love to see that. And I, I loved seeing it. And you realize like, it is not some great advantage. First of all, teams know each other inside and out so well, especially at this point. My, I guess what I'm getting at is that it's so weird, like what's protected because of the insecurities of coaching staffs and executives. And oftentimes like that stuff is not, it's not like it's going to change entire series and stuff. And and certainly not after the fact it can be released. My, my point is that like so many times cameras aren't allowed in locker rooms. They don't want to see speeches and all that kind of stuff. And in actuality, again, I think it humanizes people and teams and coaches and I think it's it's great. The fans love it. And I just wish there were some – we have a lot of access right now, but it's limited access in terms of what they shoot, when they shoot. I'd love to see more of this. That's all. It's also, I think <laughs> – last thing I'd feel, I think Doug Collins did a pretty good job biting his lip. <laughs> he, was, yes. he was very, very diplomatic about Phil coming in and being named head coach. He was very diplomatic. All right, follow Adam on Twitter at NaismithLives. He's got all the time in the world, so he'll tweet back to you. At rejecting <laughs> underscore the underscore screen on Instagram. I'm at Noah Koslov, C-O-S-L-O-V. And check out everything else going on on the podcast network on Locked On, Locked On NBA. The Hollinger and Duncan every Monday. Locked On Fantasy Hoops. Josh Lloyd doing the ultimate fantasy team for every single franchise is Ugh. pretty awesome. Chad That's Ford's amazing. big boards or Chad Ford's back doing NBA draft analysis and telling all sorts of stories. That's really enjoyable as well. And then, of course, your team every day. That is the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.